Good morning, everybody. I typically like to have some dramatic buildup to what we're preaching about today, but we spoiled it at the beginning, so we're not doing that today. It's very plain and simple. Today, we're talking about what it looks like to be desperate for healing. This is one that I have a pretty intimate relationship with. I've spent pretty much my whole life feeling desperate for healing. I was born with a skin condition called eczema. And if you look at me now, it looks like it's probably not that bad. But if you looked at me when I was in kindergarten, it would have been plain to see. And the fact is, my eczema has been a major defining factor of my life, whether I wanted it to be or not. And it has caused me a lot of pain. It has caused me a fair bit of emotional turmoil. It has caused me to miss out on a lot of things that I would have loved to do. I didn't get to go camping near as much as I wanted to. I never got to have a dog like I wanted to. And since we figured out that I can't eat gluten, I haven't gotten to eat sopapilla cheesecake ever since that moment. <laughs> I've missed out on a lot of things because of my eczema. And that's unique to me. But I think the reality is we have all had a moment in our lives where we've been desperate for healing. It might not have been physical healing. It might have been a mental health struggle that we've gone through, or a season of depression. Or maybe it's been a spiritual healing that we've been craving, where there's an addiction that has just taken over our lives. And we want it to be healed. And oftentimes we get stuck in these cycles where the, we want the healing so bad, and we pray for it, and we pray for it, and we pray for it, but it never comes. And we're stuck asking the question, I know that Christ can heal me, so when will he? I know you have this power, Jesus. You did it back then. You've done it today. There's miraculous healings all the time. When is mine going to happen? And we're stuck. Because oftentimes it feels like that prayer doesn't get an answer. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of a man who is desperate for healing. But the healing doesn't come. Yet, God moves powerfully through what happens in his life. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of a man named Lazarus. The story is found in John 11. It is 44 verses. We're not going to read all of them, but we are going to read a lot of them. So, open up your Bibles to John 11. We're going to be doing a lot of reading today. The story begins like this. Jesus gets a notification from Lazarus' sisters that he has passed away. And he finds out that Lazarus is ill. And Jesus thinks, oh, I need to go. Or, he finds out he's ill. Sorry, I said he passed away. That's later in the story. <laughs> um, he finds out that Lazarus is ill. And he has this disease 
and this disease looks like it is going to take Lazarus' life. And Jesus says to his disciples, this disease is not going to take Lazarus' life. It's going to lead to the glorification of God. And so they think, oh, clearly we're going to go and heal Lazarus. But the reality is that in Luke 11, or in John 11, verse 6, it says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Now, this seems kind of weird, because you would imagine that once Christ gets the news that one of his best friends has fallen ill, he would be doing anything that he could to get there and heal him, right? Jesus has already proved over and over and over again that he has the power to heal. And that's, in fact, why the sisters of Lazarus write to him and let him know that Lazarus has fallen ill. They are expecting that Jesus will come and heal him. And the disciples are expecting that they will go and heal him. But what happens is he lingers. He stays at the place where he was for two more days. And it's a little bit confusing. Because the result of him staying where he was two more days is that Lazarus dies. And when Jesus finally gets to where he is, he's been in the tomb for four days already. John eleven seventeen 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now this four days number is important. It might not seem like anything to us, but to the audience reading this book, it would have meant a lot. See, in antiquity, the time where the Jews were around and the Romans were still occupying that land, there was a common belief amongst the Jews that when someone died, their spirit hovered over their body for three days, waiting that it, to get a moment where it could go in. And so for three days, people are kind of just asleep. But on the fourth day, they are dead. Like really dead. The soul has abandoned the body. The body is toast. Healing doesn't happen after three days. And the fact is, Lazarus is truly and utterly dead. Well, Lazarus' sister Martha hears that Jesus is coming, and the following scene takes place. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary, her other sister, remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha comes to Jesus, and she's a little bit more, she's a little bit older than Mary. She carries herself a little bit better than Mary, and she comes to him and she makes this statement I know that had you been here, my brother would still be alive. But she borders it with, But I know. That whatever you ask right now, God will still give you. She's not asking for Christ to heal her brother. 
In Martha's mind, Lazarus is dead. There is no coming back. What she's saying is she's saying, you let me down, but I still trust you anyway. She is accusing Jesus, saying, I know that had you been here, my brother would still be alive. But even though you let me down, I will still believe in you. And then Jesus takes this moment to do a beautiful teaching about what the resurrection is, about the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. He teaches her and shows her just how little power death really has. And he shows her his power. He makes this declaration that he has power not even over sickness, but over life itself. He takes this moment to teach. And Martha Martha has this beautiful moment with Christ. And so she's encouraged by this moment. And so she goes and fetches her sister. Because she wants her sister to get the same kind of encouragement. But the story with her sister has a pretty different conclusion. Now when Mary, her sister, came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him the exact same thing as her sister, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. There is no teaching with Mary. There is no reconciling with Mary. Mary comes to Jesus, and she makes the same statement. She says, I know you could have healed my brother, but you weren't here. And she falls down, and she cries. And Jesus doesn't take this moment to scold her. He doesn't take this moment to teach her something. He doesn't take this moment to go on an exposition about theology. No, he sits there, and he cries with her. Moved by her heartbrokenness, moved by the pain that she is enduring. Martha could handle a teaching, Mary could not. And Jesus sees her heartbrokenness, and he's heartbroken too. And the crowd, always doubting, always looking on and judging, says this. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They're asking the question that we asked earlier. Jesus, we know you can heal. Why weren't you here to keep this man from dying? Jesus, we know that you have power. Why couldn't you use it then? Why did you stay far away? Couldn't you have saved this man's life? See, the doubt is ever-present. And the doubt is ever-present for us, too. That question always comes up. Jesus, I know you can heal me, so when will you? These people say, we know you could heal me. We know you could heal Lazarus, so why didn't you? And Christ, moved by this scene, goes and does one of the most powerful and beautiful miracles in the entire Bible. 
Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Again, the doubt is creeping in. She's not, she's not expecting a miracle. She's saying, oh, it's going to stink. Why would we do that? And Jesus said to her, did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Christ takes this moment in the midst of tragedy to give great glory to God. He stops in the midst of this really weird scene where they've opened up a tomb and no one really knows what's going to happen. And he starts praying. And every, I mean, everyone's probably looking on like, this guy's crazy. He's lost his mind. But he prays to God and he says, God, I know that you hear me, but I'm doing this whole exposition right now. I'm doing this whole thing so that the people around me might believe that you've sent me. And at the drop of a dime, a man is raised from the dead. Lazarus walks out of that tomb. Christ had proven his power to heal. Over and over and over again. But in this moment, he proves that he has power not only over sickness, but over death as well. And Lazarus walks out. And the Jews look on, and John eleven forty five 45 says this. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. They see the miracle worked. They see the power of Christ. They see this beautiful scene take place. And because Christ let Lazarus die, many people come to believe in him. A healing was just old news at this point. But a man raised from the dead leads to the glorification of Christ as the Son of God. God works in the midst of this terrible situation. And yet the story ends in a happy way. Lazarus is raised up from the tomb. Death doesn't have the final word. Lazarus walks out and the story has a happy ending. But I haven't gotten my happy ending yet. And you probably haven't gotten yours. And so it leads us back to our question. I know that Christ can heal me, so when is he going to do it? Well, the answer is Christ will heal you at your resurrection. Today might not be the day that you are freed from your sickness. 
In fact, today probably won't be the day that you're freed from your sickness. Whatever haunts you, whatever you're desperate to be healed from, I have bad news. It's probably not going away today. And it might not go away tomorrow, and it might not go away the next day, but there is good news. It will go away someday. There will be a day when all of us will be raised up, and the power of sin and death will be ultimately destroyed. And the pain that comes from it will have no hold on you. There will be a day when I get to play with every dog in heaven. There will be a day when I won't not sleep through the night because of my skin. There will be a day when I won't be, I'll be able to be in the sun and I won't get hot and I won't itch and it won't sting. There will be a day when I can eat all the Sopapilla cheesecake that I want. And there will be a day when you are healed too. But it might not be today. And so that leaves us asking, what do we do in the meantime? Well, I want to give you three steps. Step one is to weep. John eleven thirty five. The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's not pretty. It's not wordy. It's not eloquent. It is short and simple. Jesus broke down and cried because of the pain that the world was causing the people he loved. And a lot of the times we go through this life and our sickness or whatever we're dealing with gets to be too much for us and we break down and we think, great, I'm weak. Now Jesus is going to look on me and judge me. But what did he do when Mary came to him? She fell at his ground and she wept. And he wept along with her. When you come to Jesus because the pain that the world is causing you is just too much and you fall at his feet and you just can't help but cry, he doesn't look at you and say, why are you crying? He doesn't look at you and say, why are you being so weak? No, he sits there and he weeps with you. Don't be too strong to weep. Even God on earth, Jesus Christ was not too strong to weep. And he sees the pain of the world, and it breaks his heart, and he was allowed to cry, so you are too. But we can't just wallow forever. So step two is to wait. Romans 8 says this, Verses 18 through 25. This is Paul writing and he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the Creator waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it 
in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the firstfruits of the spirits, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. For a lot of us, our time for healing hasn't come yet. And that stinks because we're stuck in a situation where our only option is to wait. We know that it's going to come one day. But right now, we just have to wait. But Paul writes to us, and he says, I consider the sufferings of today to be nothing because I look forward to what is awaiting me. And I can eagerly await the resurrection because all creation is eagerly awaiting the resurrection. All creation was subjected to suffering. All creation was subjected to pain. All creation is desperate for healing. And it's easy to wait. Because when that healing comes, everything will be redeemed. Every mental health problem will go away. Every physical health problem will go away. Every sin that has haunted you for your entire life will go away. And everything will be healed. So we can look forward to the day when everything is redeemed. And we can want it and we can wait for it because we have to. But we can be eager about that day. Because it's going to be beautiful. And because creation is waiting for it along with us. So first we weep. Then we wait. And finally, we witness. John 11 says this. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Oh, no. <laughs> the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Many of the people surrounding came to a hopeless situation. They came to see the tomb of a dead man. And yet they got to see life. Many people come to those of us who need healing and see our lives as a hopeless situation. They see my pain and say, man, you must hate God. You must hate the creator. You, if you believe in him, you must hate him because he put you through all of this. 
But when they see Lazarus walk out of that tomb, when they see a man excited to be alive again, when they see the power of God displayed in front of them, they can't help but believe. From this moment forward, Lazarus just being alive was a constant reminder to everyone around him of the power of Christ. He had a wonderful opportunity to witness. If you are here today, and you are desperate for healing, and it just hasn't come, I want you to know something. Your pain gives you a unique opportunity to glorify God. My pain gives me a unique opportunity to glorify God. It's old news that people who have things easy, it's easy for them to believe. Jesus came to Lazarus after he was dead. He could have healed him and been, the story would have gone around and maybe God would have been glorified. But people had been healed left, right, and center. But the true glory comes when Jesus lets him die. Because then a man walks out of the grave. And when you go out into the world, even though it hurts, even though it stinks sometimes, even though you don't get to do all the things you want to do, and you glorify God and are a testament to his goodness anyway, maybe even you boast in your weakness. The whole world has no choice but to at least look at you and think something is different about that person. And that difference is Jesus. Because when you know healing will come one day, it is okay and it is easier to glorify God today even though the healing didn't come. And just like Paul, we get the opportunity to boast in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Our theme verse for the summer says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when my body is not where I want it to be, then my soul can be made stronger. For when my mind is not where I want it to be, but I go out into the world and I proclaim the goodness of God in any way, true strength is found. The power of God is found in those who need healing. And in their testament to him, even though it hasn't come yet. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for today. God, we know it's not easy 
to walk through life desperate for healing. We know it's not fun. We know it hurts over and over and over again. And we know, you, we know that we come to you and ask you why, and we come to you and we pray, and sometimes the answer is wait a little longer. God, we thank you for the unique opportunity that we have to glorify you when we see our desperation and choose to champion your name anyway. Help us as we go into this week to be encouraged at the reality that our healing will come someday. Thank you for all that you do. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. If you're here today and you've never heard of the one that offers new life, the one that offers healing, the one the world has no chance of giving it, we would love nothing more than to talk to you. The elders are going to be at the doors. We're going to have ministers down front. We would love nothing more than to tell you the story of the one who heals not only your body, but your soul as well. Join with me as we stand and as we sing.